you have your dad who's Nigerian, uh, your mom who's, you know, Irish. And with that diversified group of family, um, you was born in Chicago, right? Uh, I want to get into, you know, your early your early age of of, of BA. Uh, what it was like, man, living in Chicago, growing up in Chicago, being born there and having a diverse family. Yeah, man, it was wild because um, my mom and dad met in Chicago. And then as soon as I, my brother was born, then I was born. We moved to Lagos, Nigeria. And we'll, if it pops up, we'll get into some of those things. I just got back from Nigeria just last week. So it was wild to go back home for the first time since I was a kid. But so basically, my mom came back to Chicago as a single mom. And I think a lot of us can relate to just growing up in the projects, growing up in the hood, you know, things being dangerous, being an underdog, things being tough. And then really just focusing in on what's important, you know, in life, you know, whether that be family, education, health and safety, so on and so forth. So Chicago was like that. It was a grind, man. Like just growing up in the inner city, I grew up in the Lathrop Homes Projects. Um, it was a dangerous community. You had like vice lords, you had deuces, you had, I mean, I can't even remember the all the names of the different gangs on different corners in Chicago. So just, you know, avoiding all that as a kid and. Um, my parents always put us in sports. So I played sports at an early age and it's like the old school stories. You come back home when the street lights cut out, make sure you're back home before dark. Um, powdered milk, standing in line to get, you know, free cereal, food stamps. Um, and that's just, you know, that's what I remember in Chicago. It's like the, the main thing, it was a very diverse community, but everybody had nothing. We were all poor. We were all broke together. Everybody in the community, everybody, if you lived in the Lathrop Homes housing projects, you basically had nothing. All you had was your family. And hopefully you had a good one that was going to help you get through. And luckily, I was I was one of those people that had a good family that was going to help me get through. Yeah. Yeah. What were, were your your mom and your dad, your main supporting support group early on your early years in Chicago? Yeah. Well, my mom came back from Nigeria by herself. Oh, wow. So my dad, my, my dad remained there. And to this day, my dad still lives there. So, you know, that's why I went home and, and saw my dad, even though I've seen him throughout. But like I grew up with my dad from afar, a lot of phone calls with my dad. Mm. And then this technology progressed, you know, as of late, not as of late, but like, you know, now we do FaceTime and stuff like that. Right. But like I didn't have any of that as a kid. All I had was my mom, really. Yeah. And I, the I, funniest I, thing or not the funniest thing, but one of the parallels then my mom says she said she felt safer as a white woman in Nigeria than she felt as a white woman with black kids in the streets of Chicago, which what? is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, probably not so much in our neighborhood, but, you know, when she went to other parts of Chicago, that was a very segregated city, you know, yeah. um, she felt safer. And I know, you know, in the South, you can relate to that as well. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we, to say we, that. we used to call uh, we used to call our 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 neighbor. Uh, of New Orleans, uh, Chicago, because Chicago was very dangerous, like New Orleans. I think for a long time, Chicago was, you know, extreme murders, um, you know, extreme and prisons. Is. And yeah, that's that's like that's that. going on for about what I'm young, so like what twenty years, thirty years. That's that's been like that. Where the you only hear top two cities, is either Chicago at the top of of murders, or is either it's either New Orleans that's you know for crimes. Yeah, well, one thing like. And you, the second I tell you this, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that is Chicago is Al Capone. And so, you know, when they had um, organized crime and mafia like that was Chicago, you know what I'm saying? So Chicago's always been a violent city. It's not a great thing. Like This is not anything to brag about. I'm not trying to glorify the violence of Chicago. And it's sure, such an amazing sure. city. And so many amazing people come from Chicago. 
iconic sports figures, um, artists, um, you, beautiful museums, a beautiful, beautiful city. Um, yeah. it, sh- it shouldn't, the things that go on in that city should not be happening. So, and in New Orleans as well, right? So Washington DC was the murder capital at, at one point as well. So it's like, why are some of these great cities that are predominantly black cities, why is there so much violent in these cities? And, you know, even Obama spent time in it, you know, claimed Chicago and, you know, in a sense, yeah. you know, that could be his city or it could be Oprah Winfrey right. city. Like, right. why are, why are these cities so bad when they got so many great leaders coming from right. these cities? Right. For, for your mom, I want to get into Brendan is uh, how, how different or what was the platform education and structure like coming from your mom? Right. Cause you have your dad who's he's there, but he's not presently there, but your mom is doing right. the dirty work, you know, raising you, watching you, making sure you go right. over at certain people's houses that, you know, creating a structure in the lane for to where you don't lose yourself. Right. You don't get caught up in the crowds of Chicago, right. even though it's a great city, but what how was that like was she much hands-on or how was that transition for her being primarily predominantly you know the, the father and mother figure for right you? you know luckily i had a brother you know my brother obafemi he played you know 11 years in the league he won a super bowl with the uh ravens as well we, we all of us played for the ravens right um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um my brother was a great influence on me you know he was kind of the icebreaker but um in terms of my mom and i couldn't really appreciate it till i was older is that as poor as we were, we always went to a private school, you know, in wow. Chicago. So any extra dollars. And I think we were on like a little bit of a scholarship. We were on fi- like financial aid, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but sure. any extra money she had, <laughs> it went towards, you know, putting me and my brother and my sister in school. And so whether she had to work or hustle or do whatever she had to do, save food stamps and um, just save any extra money that she had, it went toward just going to private school. And I definitely remember that. And it did make a difference. When I finally went to public school, when I moved to California, when I was 10, I was like, man, this is easy. This, this <laughs> public school is real easy. Yeah, It's but, a different um, ball game, though. You can't public school rules won't abide in private school and the same thing yeah. vice versa. And I went to a Catholic school and this is like back in the day where like they would slap you with the ruler. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. it just, Life was different back then, you know? For sure. Um, For sure. But yeah, I think, you know, now I can see the sacrifices that, that my mom made. And, you know, she had a hard time being, you know, a single mom with three kids. You know, I have a sister as well. And um, but but yeah, she did. A, she did a great job, though. She was. So- she was the. The, the matriarch and the patriarch. Yeah, that's good. I, I think, I think number one, you got to see your dad's side leadership, right? Um, a leader of the family. Okay, we run things like this, but it's a little bit challenging because we live in two separate places. But this is, you know, our bread and butter and the things and the ideas and the values we live off of. Uh, transitioning from America going to live in Lagos, Nigeria, how different was that, you know, transition for, for you personally, but your family dynamic? Was life much more calm? You know, what was like the family structure? What's the what's the family structure of a Nigerian family, especially being in Lagos, the, the motherland? I mean, thank God I just got back from there and I could like rekindle all the things that that I, you know, either didn't remember or that I just wasn't able to be a part of growing up. I think that the most important thing is that um, there is a family structure. And when I went to my dad's house, there was 20 relatives up inside the house. My aunties were there, my cousins were there, nieces and nephews were there. And every day, like when you walk in the house, you greet the eldest person first. So like wow. when I see my dad, I see his wife, like I have to bow to them. I see my aunties, I have to bow to them. 
And then I look them in the eye. I give them a hug. How are you doing? How is your day? How are you feeling? You know, wow, like, wow. Respect, and it's, gen- right? it's genuine. It's with a it's smile. Genuine. It's genuine. You take yeah. a moment like nobody else exists. You greet that one person. You bow wow. down. Then you look them in the eye, depending on who it is. If it's a relative, you're going to hug them. How are you? You look fresh today. You look amazing. How was your day? How did you sleep? Did you sleep well? You'll do that to every elder in the house. Then every younger person in the house will come up to you and then they'll bow to you. Wow. And like we forget, like one out of eight black people in the world are Nigerian. The yeah. most populated, <laughs> the most populated country in Africa is Nigeria. Either way, like anybody black, we're all African, but like these are the roots, these are the foundations are built off of respect, seniority, like respect your elders. Of course, like, you know, you might have more clout than them or you might succumb them or or whatever, um, or you might perceive them. But at the end of the day, like you're still going to pay homage, you're still going to pay respect. Like we come from a respect, a respectful culture that puts the family first. And so for me to be able to be back into that and to see that, like it was a beautiful thing. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just, I'm so glad I got to go back for the first time since I was a little kid. And like, when we think of families here, like everybody doesn't have that, whether it's a white family, whether it's a black family, a Latino, I think Latinos probably do it the best that you think of like a Mexican household, like who's in a Mexican household. They got all the kids up in there. They got the aunties, the uncles and all that. Right. But, um, the family unit is very important. And, um, I'm glad I got to to see it because I unfortunately I didn't get to grow up with that, um, even right. though I was in touch with my dad and, and all that stuff. But it was great to finally be home like a piece of me feels like it's full again. You know, a piece yeah. that was missing. I can see that, man. I can see that you feel refreshed. You feel renewed. You felt like you went back to a sense of home and it hit your heart, and your mind. And you have a sense of, you know, a much sense of where you come from, but also your, your, your legacy of what you're supposed to carry on to your kids, right, to your community, to strangers you run into man i I've, I've been to africa and i tell people all the time man when you land and your feet touch the soil like it feels like a different vibrant place between the animals between the people that greet you like and it's all out of like utmost like respect i want to help you you know i'm your brother uh how can i help you and then it, the main thing they say is welcome back to the welcome back home welcome that's home. the main thing they would say <laughs> now it's not just colored people saying this it's you know some of the white people saying this as well like Welcome home. And man, just having it, I'm like, man, listen, people will scratch their back their whole life just to get this feeling in America. And it's just something where you just have to be there to, to really feel the culture. Um, I want to share that. I figured I found out last last spring, actually, uh, I did what the 23 and me test. And I'm you like, Nigerian, 40, bro? I'm 46% Nigerian, bro. Right. You, look, <laughs> like, you look like there's a, there's a specific tribe in Nigeria. They're called Igbo. You look like an Igbo boy. Like you, if you walk to Nigeria and you, if you had traditional Nigerian clothing on, they would be like, oh, yeah. Igbo boy, Igbo boy, Ebo for boy. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. No, it's funny because I, uh, you know, spent some time in D.C. playing for Baltimore. And uh, I would ask all the, you know, the African guys and ladies, it's like, uh, what, what am I? It's like, you definitely look Nigerian. And this was in oh, not, uh, 2019. So right. when it came back that the proof was, oh, you're actually majority, you know. Nigerian, Nigerian, I said, I said, yeah, it, it makes sense because the nose, the skin color, you know, it was like, yeah, you have it, you have it all. Uh, so good, man. Good to hear about your roots, uh, your family dynamic in Nigeria. Um, I'm sure that that culture had a lot to do with influencing your mom and raising up your your brother and your sister. Um, and I think the most beautiful thing, Brendan, is that you had a journey that that took you on a place that taught you values, that taught you culture, that taught you. Uh, 
how to be generous, right? Man, I see all those things in you every time I approach you, since the first time I approached you, actually. I've seen it, man, from your smile, you know, from your handshake. Um, I think that's the journey you went on to help build who you are. But also I want to get into, dive right into is that, you know, the journey from the moment that you first knew that you wanted to pursue athletics, you know, what age was that? Uh, how old were you? Uh, did a tragic moment happen to where, hey, you say, look, <laughs> mom, mom making it happen off of food stamps. I, I have to turn this around either for myself, but, you know, for my family. What was that like? Yeah, so growing up in Chicago, um, the the biggest stars in my world were Michael Jordan, um, and then you had sweetness, Walter Payton. Um, so the Chicago Bears and the Chicago Bulls were like the big, you know, they're winning championships. So they're not only were they the most popular teams, obviously in Chicago, they're the most popular teams in the United States. So just seeing that and, you know, being at the park and everyone be like, oh, I'm Jordan or, oh, I'm sweetness, I'm Walter Payton or I'm Mike Singletary. Um, so hearing that all the time growing up and I'd be in the parks, like sports weren't that big, you know, to me, whereas my brother was a jock, you know? So when we we're seven and eight years old, like he was playing every sport, but then, you know, my mom would put me in the sport because he was playing and she could just drop us both off at the same time. And so I think by the time I was 10 was like when I finally really started getting into sports um, is in high school, I lettered in five sports, baseball, basketball, football, track and wrestling, you know, over the course of my high school career. So Eventually, it just became one of the things where I kind of just followed in my brother's footsteps. And he was the one that kind of led me to sports. And he was the first one that kind of had an idea. Actually, I, t I, I uh, sent one of my football coaches a message today because he had labrum surgery. Coach uh, Randy Felici, he told my brother when he saw him playing football, he's like, I think you're special. He's the first person that told either one of us that, like, I think you're special. I think you could do something as a football player. And my brother loved baseball at the time. But I always remembered that Randy had said that to him because my brother came to me. He's like, guess what Coach Randy said? This is high school, right? Yeah, and I right. probably wasn't <laughs> in high school. I was in like junior high at the time. My, my high school coach said I'm special. He said he thinks I could be a pro athlete or something, right, you know? But at that time, playing, like you said, five sports, in your mind, did you like, did you think that you was actually good? Or you was like, hey, listen, I have identity. I know I work hard. I know I could, you know, Win, win a game in any sport was it a, a a journey to finding your identity as of becoming good or did you just you just juggle five sports because you just didn't know what to what to do at the time well, I, I thought I was decently athletic but here's the thing was um I thought I was mid like I was never the best player on my high school teams the best athlete we had other guys that were better athletes but they were always two years younger than me my best friends they had flunked the grade and I was the youngest in my grade so they were all two years older than me so I'm like trying to compete with them which was a great thing I had a bunch of great athletes as a kid that I was around. But once Randy planted that coach, Randy Quilici planted that seed in my brother's head saying that he thinks he could potentially be a pro athlete. Then I was like, if my brother can do it, then I can do it. You know? So then that's when like the, the mission started um, and the training started, the dedication started. Um, luckily, like all me and my friends would do is we play all different sports. We would surf, we would skateboard, wiffle ball, baseball, basketball, um flag or tag in the streets or whatever it was so we played sports all day every day so luckily i had that so i could play every sport pretty good but i was mid but i was like okay my parents always taught me like anything that you put your mind to if you dedicate yourself and you work hard at it, then you can accomplish it which was one of the greatest things my parents taught me so i'm like all right i think i could be a pro athlete and so then i started the pursuit i started chasing that dream to lift and to run and to train and luckily, like we had this great training um, facility in our city that they, they just started the speed ladder. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking 1994, yeah. bro. 1994 yeah. was, on a speed was, ladder. 
Oh, just you know what I'm so, um, yeah. yeah, it was called Charlie's World. So I got on Charlie's World. I was training. I was lifting at Gold's Gym. And I just became a monster. But you got to keep in mind, like, I was never recruited in high school. So I went to JUCO. Even when I went to JUCO, I had to send my tape out to UCLA and other schools that finally offered me a scholarship. I didn't get drafted out of UCLA. So it's like I always been an underdog. I always been self-made. So no one was going to do it like I was going to do it. And my brother did. I did everything my brother did. He kind of had the blueprint. So it's just one of the things in life. Like if you want it, you just got to go get it. You know, and I was thinking about you and I was thinking about the podcast and I was thinking about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was a late first round draft pick and he had a chip on his shoulder because he was a late first round draft pick. I had a chip on my shoulder because I wasn't drafted, bro. Like it's a different type of dog. You know, it's a different it's a different mindset for sure. Yeah, completely different mindset. So, yeah, yeah, that's I'm always going to be the underdog no matter what it does. No matter what it is in life, I'm always going to have to work hard. I can I should always be able to accomplish whatever whatever that moonshot goal is. I have my dream set too. I should always be able to accomplish it, but it's never going to come easy. I'm always going to have to work dedicate myself and sacrifice if I'm going to achieve that goal. Yeah. How, how different, Brendan, I want to ask you, you know, the underdog mindset versus you having it, right? You had two parents, you had structure, um, you had a brother that could, you could a- actually had a blueprint to, hey, I could bounce my success and align myself up with excellence with along with my brother based off, because you look up to your brother, right? You you watch everything he do, you know, you watch the girls he date, you watch how he, you know, get, prepare for, for practice. Um, I, I think you had some great tools around you to help you give you that hope, give you that that journey of, hey, look, I actually could do it myself if my coach is telling me I could do it. Hey, let me believe that. But what I want to get into, the underdog mindset, why wouldn't you have wanted it easier? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have had it any other way, honestly, you know. Um Everything that my brother and I that we accomplish is all self-made. You know what I'm saying? We all and my brother now, you know, he runs a startup company. It's in um, uh, health and fitness. Uh, And then also he's running some algorithms and some AI as well. Um, Some computer learning models on uh, predictive models on um, the results of NFL games, not necessarily sports betting, but, you know, predicting NFL games and whatnot. So like we're we're self-made, you know, we figured things out and we always did it our way. Like we didn't, there was no blueprint. There was no model. Like I went from the inner city of Chicago to a surf town in Santa Cruz, California. I don't know if you've ever been to Santa Cruz, but there's more pro surfers than any other sports combined coming out of that city. Not a lot of athletes coming out of there. But um, so like there wasn't, there was just an overwhelming belief in ourselves to do it. And so we went out there and we chased it. And, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. And you got to think, Kenny, I know like, even your journey in the NFL, it had ups and downs. Like one day you were with one team, then the next day you're with another team, right? For me, I would be with one team and then I would go home for a year. Then I'd be with another team, then I would go home for a year because I would just get cut in training camp. My first three years, I got cut. I made my first NFL team when I was 27, bro. Like I had to try out four times to make my first NFL team. And I know one of your questions was like, what was it like, you know, your first NFL experience? Like, welcome to the NFL. Well, guess who was next to me? My brother was next to me. He was on that team with me. You know what I'm wow. saying? So I wouldn't have had it any other way. We ran out there our first game in Miami Dolphins uniforms. Like, what's up? Like, let's ride. Uh, wow, bro. With me and him. And we're still competitive to this day. Like, I'm 47. He's 48. You could stack us up against any 47s or any 48-year-olds or stack us up against any 35-year-olds. Like, we're hyper, hyper competitive and we're always going to find a way, you know what I'm saying? Like we want to be outliers. We want to be different. We want to set ourselves apart, 
But, you know, that just laid the foundation um, getting into the NFL for just success post NFL career. But yeah, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Bro, listen, that is, that is remarkable. Uh, I didn't know you played with your brother on the same squad. Uh, that is, that is amazing. Um, and man, I was just looking at a clip of you. Uh, I think I was having like a tug of war uh, event where you and some of the homies at the Ravens facility in Baltimore, uh, y'all was playing tug of war and the loser had to do like what, uh, 225 or something like that. I, I saw you tap out at like 29 reps or something like that, but uh, that's all you had or what, man? You like you were struggling the last two reps. Right, right. I, that 30 reps isn't good enough for 225. <laughs> it's not good enough. Hey, you know what, though? I was just at the gym yesterday and I hit it 20 times. Oh, and we're okay. talking about the video that you saw. The video you saw was from like 2008. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's what, 15 yeah. years ago? And I'm still hitting that joint 20 times at 47. <laughs> I'm cool with that, bro. Yeah. I'll take it. No, what got me, man, I said, this sucker pushed a sled, a big sled. What did that sled? About about 150 pounds, 200 pounds. Uh, what you, you started 100 yards? Bro, that was, in, that was insane. People don't understand. Baltimore workouts are hard, like extremely hard, like the average workout. Like you're not just doing a, 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 a bench press where you bounce off your chest and, and that's one rep. No, no, no. You're coming all the way down, you're quartering it, and then you're going all the way up. That's one rep. You got that for 12 reps in one set. So the mindset is completely different. I tell people all the time, man, listen, they ask me, it's like, what's what's the greatest place you ever played at? I say, well, listen, you're talking about workload. Baltimore is probably the most tough place I've ever been. I mean, the standard as soon as you walk in the door, right? The, to You're greeting somebody, man, Baltimore has the greatest franchise, I think, around the league, just because the culture. The janitor, right. one of the best person you ever meet. The top of the person that's in front office, one of the greatest people you ever meet. The finance lady, one of the sweetest ladies you ever meet. The coaching staff, the strength coaches, man, everybody. It, it's it's ran with a brand, and I want to say honestly, when when they talked about, uh, I was it was the rookies, me, Lamar Jackson, Orlando Brown, uh, Anthony Averett, corner from out of Alabama, uh, the Sean Elliott, uh, uh, UT guy. We was talking about it uh, in rookie rookie uh, mini camp about how hard this 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 uh, conditioning test is that Steve has the strength coach, and we're going into like yeah it's gonna be a few gassers it's you know we'll be able to, we'll be able to do it once we do two, a few practice rounds in the summer when we come back to pass to go to training camp because you have to pass the training test to get over man when I tell you that was the hardest conditioning test of my life bro listen this is what it is it's the, it's from the goal line you got to run to the twenty five yard line back. 25-yard line back, 25-yard line back under 29 seconds. You have to do it six times. The fourth rep on the on the, when it's time for me to go to camp, Brendan, bro, listen, I'm running the last rep with my eyes closed. That's how hard it is. Like, the guy say, five, four, three. Just trying to cross. I'm just trying to hey, cross the line, bro. Ours was that's... very similar when I was in Baltimore. It was very similar. With Bob Ragucky was our strength, strength and conditioning coach, and the other coach's name was Mother. But, yeah, it was very similar. Yeah, it's, it's 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 different for sure. Actually, uh, Anthony Averett, which was the fastest guy at Alabama at that time, uh, coming after Marlon Humphrey and uh, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, he failed the tw- the test like two three times, bro. And he's the fastest guy in Alabama football field. Like, right. so it was it was it was different, bro. You, you, conditioning like, is different, bro. Conditioning, conditioning different. was different, but you know, Terrell Suggs was like, he grabbed me and said, "Bro, listen, this is the real deal. Like, you about to learn real real fast from grown men." Like, welcome to the NFL. Like, how we practice, how we eat, how we play, how we have fun. Like, 
it's 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 right. something different, and I wouldn't want it no other way because the Rams on other on another other scale was completely different, like relaxed, right. chill, you know, but all about work, fundamentals, technique. Uh, let's 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 play with a little urgency. Let's practice with a little urgency, and it was very different, right? But different Baltimore like man was just it was just it was it was hard nosed, like blue collar. collar, yeah, yeah, and that's how you know they the first built. the first player that John Harbaugh ever signed was me as a head coach. I was his first what? player he ever. Yeah, when he Undrafted. became a head coach, he's like Brendan Allen was the first dude I need on my team. <laughs> so wow. I'm like, hey, let's ride! Wow, man, that's that's amazing, man. Um, he's still coaching there, a legend coach will always be one. Um, so, so Brendan, this is what I want to get into, man. You talked about a little bit about the underdog. I don't want to get over the fact that you know you did go through the high school recruiting process, and I want to hear, you know, what was that like? For as when you started getting good, and you know, teams may have been, you know, having you on their radar, may have not, but you was controlling, right, what you can control, and you were stacking the standard of that, which is doing things right, showing up on time, and busting your butt, and, you know, trying to get a shot. I think that's what you want. Every every collegiate athlete just wants a shot and a chance, whether you're good, whether you're uh, a walk-on, you know, you study engineering, everyone wants a shot. So um Going back to high school, what was your recruiting process like? Tell me about that. Brendan is going to do it to make sure I get a shot at at trying to get right. a scholarship or, or, or JUCO, right? Try to get picked up by JUCO. How was that? Right. So, um, like, after my senior year was over, like, I was defensive player of my conference, defensive MVP of my conference and whatnot. But I, there was really no teams calling, you know? There was no – coming from Santa Cruz, there, just, there was nothing, you know? And then – um. Pat Tillman was just over the hill over in San Jose. And now like I hear about Pat Tillman and like he was going to Arizona State. And then Brendan Dejo does nothing, you know. So my brother was already at junior college. And the plan was for him, he played ju- two years at JUCO and then he played two years at San Diego State. For me, I was just going to go to JUCO and just be able to qualify and get my grades and everything up. So I go to any school I wanted to, and then I was going to play one year of JUCO. So so after two years had passed, I'd have my AA degree and then I could go to any school I wanted to, whatever the academic standard was. And so that's what I did. I sat out a year and I just trained and lifted. And in fact, the only kind of scholarship offer I was offered was in wrestling. And I wrestled for one year, my senior year in a top 10 university, uh, Cal State Bakersfield. They saw me wrestling because I went to state like I wrestled three months and I went to state. I had more success in wrestling in three months than any other sport. <laughs> schools want to be so on and so forth yeah. but um yeah so but i wanted to play football they didn't have a football team so my brother and i like i already knew my brother wasted two years of juco i'm like man i can't waste two years of juco let me just waste one in terms of eligibility so i sat out a year they called it a gray shirt at the time and then i played a year and then i was defensive player of my conference in juco and then i had like 10 scholarly offers um after that but that was a plan i devised with my brother you call that jeans right there <laughs> you call that jeans, man. Um, I, I, I think um, I think that's remarkable, bro. Uh, when I, I tip my hat off to you fighting through and sticking with it and using your resources as a guide. Right. But also having the inner willing power to say, hey, look, I'm going to make something of myself and it's going to be impactful, but it's going to be something where I feel like I feel like, you know what? Your, your brother was like your. I, f- I imagine that was your hype man. You know, that was your person that you went to for everything. And that was huge for you because I didn't have that. Right. It was just single with me, you know, uh, grew up for a period of time with my parents and then wound up going through, grew up in the projects and got evicted and my whole life changed. Right. I moved in with my best friend. 
uh, his family raised me for a while, but it was internally, it was just always me, you know? Uh, and I, I, I listened to your story and, and hear from you how, you know, your, your community was helped build you. I mean, to the Nigerian family, to your parents, to the diversification of you living in Chicago, then, you know, living in, 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 in Nigeria. Uh, I think it's just beautiful, man. And what I want to talk, talk, touch on now is get into the professional side. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, your, your experience as an undrafted player, right? Uh, went to JUCO, uh, wound up spending some time at UCLA. Um, and I wanted to, you know, want to touch on, you know, your, your, your first moment of welcome to the NFL experience. So, so tell me a little bit about, you know, your undrafted process and, uh, talk a little bit about, you know, your, your first welcome to the NFL moment. What, what, what player, what moment was that for you? Yeah, I think, you know, just the whole undrafted process, you're sitting there and you're waiting. And I was all at the time, Pac-10 linebacker. So first team, all Pac-10 linebacker, like we go first day, you know what I'm saying? So I'm sitting there, I wasn't expecting to go first day, but I'm like, okay, am I going to go fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, nothing. Um, and my agent at the time was like, yeah, you know, now, you know, you're a free agent. You're going to have the choice of going wherever you want to go. I went to the Atlanta Falcons. They played in the Super year, Super Bowl the year before and they had lost. But um, probably not a good idea to go to a good team as a free agent with a lot of talent. Probably go to a bad team that doesn't have too much talent. So that yeah. wasn't the decision. Um, but like I mentioned, you know, it took me a while to get into the NFL, just bouncing around, playing in NFL Europe, coming back, playing in Canada for two seasons, coming back. But really, like my most nostalgic and and most special memory was just lining up with my brother and, and running out um, onto the field for the first time. I don't know. I think the first team we played was maybe the Colts or something like that. I don't even remember. I just remember him being next to me and just just wilding out, running onto the field together. <laughs> Um, but, and also like just that experience of being in training camp, we we're roommates. And so wow. being in training camp with my brother and like, he was a, he was a running back and I was a linebacker. So we're running ISO, like we're going head up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, who, who won most of those battles? Man, I think I got him most of the time. <laughs> I think I got him. <laughs> I think I got him. He ain't going to admit it, but I think I got him. <laughs> but a few years later, he was in Arizona and I was playing in Chicago or Miami at the time, and he did light me up. And uh, <laughs> we played in a game. So he got me back in the game. I got him in practice, but in game time, he got me. So uh, That's funny, man. Yeah, this fool gave me a stinger. He blew my he blew my <laughs> joint up, man. I don't even know, like, you get a stinger, then you, you constantly get him over and over again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Damn, my brother got me in like, yeah. every game. That stinger would come back. Yeah. I was so mad. I do, man. Yeah, he had to remind you who who, who Big Bro uh, really is. <laughs> he did have to remind me. But man, it was a trip when I was in Miami. Like um, Jason Taylor was on that team. Junior Seau, Zach Thomas. These are all uh, Hall of Famers. Ricky Legend. Williams was on the team. He was a California guy, so it was cool to be with Ricky. And then I played with Ricky in Baltimore as well. But um, I had a lot of a lot of great um, teammates that I played with, and of course having my brother on that team. So. It was it was definitely a special experience to come into the league with that group of guys. Yeah. And and how many years did you wind up playing at once you racked it up for you say, look, I'm done with football. How many years was that? Um, 13 pro seasons and then 10 in the league. OK, 13 pro seasons, 10 in the league. Man, listen, that is a journey. Uh, you don't really hear. I mean, since I was born, anybody that, you know, they, they sit out a year, then they come back after they play a season uh, like you did. Uh, like you said, you was playing a season, then you wouldn't you wouldn't play for how long? Well, it'd just be training camp. I get cut in training camp, so I have to. Uh, yeah, I got. 
it took me, I came out in 99. I made my first team in 2003, my first NFL team in 2003. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, I think it's very unique. Like guys might play in the league for a few years and then go play in Canada, but it's pretty rare, rare that like you don't crack an NFL team. It takes you four or five years to get in. I mean, you hear some of the great stories, mm -hmm. um, even like Kurt Warner, you know what I'm saying, where he's bagging groceries and doing that, playing in arena sure. and coming back and playing. But it's pretty few and far between that um, they get in later, you know, and make yeah. it. So, so I want to talk about, you know, you're playing 13 years. What really has that taught you, Brendan? Like, did, did you get anything from that? I mean, clearly it's, man, the arsenal of, of tools and attitudes you have to have and, you know, setting boundaries with yourself of, you know, look, this is the standard. This is what it's going to be every day because I've never had it this easy and it will never be easy. It will only get harder, right? People think, oh, you play a few years or you, you build a company for 10 years that it gets easier because you have more experience, but there's always a next climb. There's always a next challenge. Uh, but for you, I want to hear what, what really has playing 13 years taught you about professionalism? Man, I would say that like there's, there's certain intangibles and there's certain things you can control and there's things you can't control. What can you control? You can control your attitude. You can control whether you're on time. You can control how you treat other people. Um, you can control the things that you do in and for the community and like what you represent. And now that I think about it, you know, like I didn't like I was such an asset to an organization, not only as a player, but as a person. And I didn't really think about those things while I was playing, even though I did all the charities and I did, you know, all the all the philanthropical stuff. And, you know, I signed the autographs and I did that stuff. But also, like I followed all the rules. That was a great representation for the organization. I was very valuable for the organization, especially like in a day and a time where like you're hearing a lot of different crazy things happen from coaches to players and even owners, right? Doing crazy wild stuff, whether that's the Raiders or the Colts or <laughs> even the Patriots or the greatest owners. Like you hear some some crazy yeah. stuff where these cats be getting in trouble, right? You kind of wear not only your last name on your back, but you're wearing whatever, whoever it is that you work for, you're wearing that on the side of your proverbial helmet. You know what I'm saying? So um, th that was valuable. And I always... I think, you know, part of it you said is like just the dedication and the sacrifice is like I, I walked a very narrow, fine line as well. There was a lot of things I couldn't do. There was a reason why it took me so long to go to Nigeria. I wasn't willing to travel while I was playing. You know, um, right. if I was going to travel, the furthest place I went was maybe I went to the Bahamas or maybe I went to Canada, but I'm very close to the United States. Like I wasn't going to deviate from my training, from my practice. Um, so I could play and, and have longevity for as long as I could. So there was a lot of things I didn't do while I played. And that's why I played for so long. There's some people that indulge and do a lot of different things. Like I didn't start businesses. I didn't do anything. Like I focused those first five years after five, six, seven years in the league. That's when I started doing businesses and went to grad school and did other things. That's what worked for me. And that helped me play for so long, but, um, also had the, the, the benefit of not identifying as a football player because it took me so long to get in the league. I was already doing other things before I got into the league. And then I got into the league. I really focused in on the football aspect of things, but my identity wasn't wrapped up in football because football wasn't always something that, that lifted me up at all or always fulfilled um, my cup and my purpose because it was always so elusive. I was always kind of chasing football. It was never like, oh, here's Brendan, the best player. Oh, let's have him on our team. Or, oh, let's recruit Brendan. It's like, no, I had to build myself up in so many ways right. um, so football could love me back. But um, so, yeah, I would say just a lot of the intangible things, being focused, like what are you really trying to achieve and accomplish and be great at what it is that you're doing? 
or are you trying to be a jack of all trades and do other things? So I was willing to sacrifice and just focus in and be the best football player, the best person and the best for the organization that I could. Yeah, no, that man, that's that's tremendous, bro. Uh, that takes one mindset that takes attitude, but also that takes practice. And I think for you, you was like, look, not many people get to be in my shoes. So you, you took advantage of every single day, man. And I think a lot of people, you know, they they read the tackles, they read the touchdowns that storm, but there are some innate characters and traits that people work on at a professional level in the NFL that, you know, you see why they last 10 years. You don't see it more often now because teams and the dynamic has changed tremendously for what they want, you know, for as veteran guys. But um, I think that added value to your journey with playing sports, because like you said, you're in a community, right? You, you're going to the, 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 the youth side of, of Baltimore and, hanging out with the kids, signing autographs, man, that, that's huge because that's who you are, right? That's your identity. It's not you play linebacker. Um, it, it, it's, not, it's not that you play linebacker. It's, 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 it's the skills that you use with your hands and the heart that your parents gave you. So, um, man, that's tremendous. Uh, what, what I want to talk about next, Brendan, is um, I want to get into the 1% one, 1 mindset and the tips that you would give to, you know, you have kids, right? Um, what, what's some tips you would give to young kids that's, thinking that they got a chance, but really don't know the dedicated work and grind and grit it, day in, day out, you know, no going to movies, no going to dates, uh, no going to parties. Like every single weekend, it's a grind to get to where you are early on to where that's compound interest to where, hey, look, when you're giving a little money, hey, getting a little check for $50,000 a week, when you're getting, you know, uh, cars being thrown at you, you know, jewelry, uh, jewelers that want to, you know, uh, give you chains and the women and the distractions, right? All of the things that comes with that, um, when when you when you when you hounded in on, hey, look, this is who I have to be because I'm going to a whole nother caliber to where I have to be great at that. But that comes with a whole nother set of expectations and distractions. What are you? What are some games you're going to give these young kids to? Hey, look, this is this is some things you want to stay away from, but this is something that you must stay true to because I feel like you said it's a very few core things that you have to stay true to, and based off luck and opportunity. That's when you get your, your your chance to really have a position to to make an impact. But without that, you know, I feel like you have a a, a great sense of journey of 13 years, bro. Bro, that's a long time. And uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about the one percent mindset and, and some advice you give to younger kids trying to strive to, to do it in sports at an elite yeah. level for a long time. I would just sharpen what you're saying a little bit, and I would say it's it's preparation and opportunity. If you're prepared and you have opportunity, then that's when the luck kind of comes into play, right? Um, if you want to call it luck or it's just, you know, you were ready for that opportunity and you seized it. Um, it was funny. I heard uh, JJ Watt like several years ago say like, I'm not going to get married while I play. I'm going to focus. I'm not going to have a girlfriend and yada, yada, yada. I don't necessarily subscribe to that. Like, I think, you know, life is a pie, right? And so in this pie, it's like, you got family. A lot of people say you got faith and then you got whatever it is, that thing that you're trying to achieve. Right. And it could be spirituality or whatever. Um, and then say that thing we're trying to achieve, but we're talking about football. We could talk about football. If you're trying to be a doctor, we'll call it being a doctor, an engineer, um, whatever it is that you're achieving. Right. Sure. So then what's what's left over in the rest of that pie? There there, there will be some leisure time. Um, there will be some time for hobbies. But whatever else, whatever's in that leftover space, it has to be something that's conducive with whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. So, yeah, I think you could do the movies and you could do the parties, but what are you doing while you're at the party though? You know, like, are you doing something that's not conducive with 
achieving the goal or are you just hanging out? Are you socializing? Cause you need those components. Like you need human touch. You need to socialize. You need to have friends. You need to have people that you talk to. You need to have alone time, decompress. Um, maybe it's recovery or regeneration or whatever it is. Right. Um, so I think you need to fill that, that, that empty space with something that's conducive and whatever it is for you, then so be it. Right. But I don't think it has to be that strict and narrow, but there's not a lot of things you can't, really open up the scope of all the things that you can do. It's going to be a fine, it's going to be a finer scope, but those things also have to be um, in unison with what it is that you're trying to achieve. So I just try to, you know, dawn upon, upon people. It's like, you know, you want to have your core people around you. Iron sharpens iron. So those people that are around you, they can't be bringing you down. Like they got to sharpen you and they got to bring you up. Um, You know, whether you have a girlfriend or whether it's friends or, um shoot like i like to hike i like to garden um i like to go to the beach and just hang out like i love to travel even though i didn't travel too much while i played um i love astronomy and and education i love the stock market so things that i would do in leisure in my hobby time like yeah i would go out and dance and hang out and party i didn't drink i didn't smoke i didn't do anything like that but also like in my downtime like i was still trying to continue to sharpen my mind and whatnot so i think it's a narrow scope there's a lot of things you can do but you just can't get too wild with a lot of those right, things right so i don't want to take away the leisure out of it because you got to live yeah. life too yeah there's so many great experiences and great things that you're going to enjoy and you're going to do not as many as people that don't have a moonshot goal if you have a moonshot goal like the um elon musk he still sleeps on his couch at the factory yeah, because <laughs> he's still trying to he's trying to get us to Mars. He's trying to turn the yeah. whole world into um, to to electrify uh, cars and get us away from ice internal combustion engines. So yeah. we have a, um, a cleaner environment. But like he sleeps in a printed house sometimes like, he, you know, his little home yeah. is a little 3D printed house or sometimes he doesn't make it there. And he sleeps in the factory still at his Tesla factory. So um, there is going to be sacri- sacrifice, dedication and commitment. But. I'm sure he has a good time too. So yeah. you have to mix in a little bit of a good time yeah, with our times. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, you, you definitely hit those on the head. Uh, I think, you, like you said, being in the 1% and being there, I think one of the, the, the first thing I thought of was accountability. You have to be accountable. You have to hold your help, yourself to a standard of accountability, but you have to hold those around you at accountability. But when you're 21, 22 years old, man, you're trying to hear half of that. You know what I mean? And it's so hard nowadays to get sucked up into those vacuums of, yeah, I can listen to this, but no, like accountability starts with yourself first, self-respect, but also those around you. And I think a lot of times us as young athletes, right, we have these aspiring goals with, to, to transform these talents and to change our lives. We literally change our lives. We've been working on it since we was a kid, but I think one of the hardest things is, oh, we want to hang out with homeboy back home. We want to hang out with a bad crowd that's not our crowd, right? We want to hang out with people that just ain't going or aligning in where we're trying to go. So it's hard. It's easy for you to say that because, you know, that's something you you take pride in. But for a large scale of what they say, how many guys are trying to make it to the league every single year? It's like, what, close to what a, a few, a couple of thousands or something like that? That's a lot. So I feel like a lot, a hard part of that is holding everybody accountable around you because that's what's going to happen. You know, you're going to have leisure time. But it's like, like you said, it's, it's brought about not being counterproductive, but finding ways of being efficient and productive. Right. And that leisure comes after you've handled what it is that you have to do. Right. Like even today, like the first thing I did today was I trained. That was the first thing I did was I trained this morning. Um, then I checked my work emails. Like I trained first. So like I can open up my mind. Like if you train, it opens up your bandwidth and your, your ability to think and to function. Also, I just, I decompress and I de-stress 
that's just my way of starting my day. And it's meditative as well for me. And then I start checking emails and, and start checking boxes and going down my list and doing all the things that I have to do. Um, but it's all things that are going to sharpen me. Right. Then, you know, when I'm done with work at the end of the day, then I might throw on a movie or, you know, tomorrow night, you know, I'm going to try to get everything done so I can watch Thursday night football. Wait, today's no, it's today's Thursday. Yes. Today's Thursday. I'm yeah. going to watch Thursday. I'm going to watch Thursday yeah. night football tonight. Like, once I get all my stuff done, but I'm like, I'm going to get all my responsibilities. I'm going to be accountable for all the tasks and all the things that I need to do so I can achieve the things that I want to do. Also, like I live in a, in a delayed gratification world. Like I can work hard now, so I don't have to work hard later. And right. I'm also a lot more capable now than I'm going to be later. You know what I'm saying? So right. I think a big one, you know, you talk about accountability, but also delayed gratification. Like let's work hard now so we can enjoy later. If I have to grind out 60 years now, so I can enjoy the last 40 years, then that's what it's going to be. Wow. Delayed gratification. Bro, listen, you have a mind on you. Um, I, I want to dive really into the, you know, the overcoming post-retirement challenges. What was that like for you? I know for me, I'm fourth round draft pick. Uh, got got drafted pretty high to Baltimore in 2018. I had high expectations, you know. Uh, but now I'm at the cusp of my life where, you know, I'm, I'm at Lifetime Fitness two or three hours every single morning, whether that's you know, I, this morning I did the steam room, I did the, the sauna, and then I did the hot tub, and I did rotations of that till it's about an hour and 20 minutes, and then I took a cold shower and I got about it there. That was part of my wellness, right? But I'm starting to see at the brinks of it, like, we get into points of our career where we need that next bridge, or we need to be thinking about, okay, what that next thing will be like for me. For me, it's a prof striving to be a professional athlete and do it at the highest level I can, right? And, and, a, and a big part of that, a lot of greater things came than I expected from when I was just a kid, nine years old, just trying to, you know, get good on the football team. I played O-line, you know, as my first sport. But now in my pro, pro career, man, uh, on, on one leg, I'm, I'm I'm training every single morning. And that's great for me for lifestyle because that's something I don't want to stop doing no matter if ball stops or not. But, you know, um, I'm just waiting on the call. Never have ever spent, you know, what, nine, nine months just sitting upon just waiting for my agent to call me waiting on the call. So that's completely different. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, but the, the next phase, which I'm always thinking about is retirement. And I'm a young, I'm a young cat, you know, I'm 20, 28 years old, be 29 in November. And I'm, I'm still young, but in the football world, I am getting a little bit old. So, so for you, I want to hear from you. You know, I, I, I take this, this conversation very, very strongly and, and this topic uh, specifically, how was it like managing mentally emotionally your transition from out of pro sports right and you know that's the key word is transition i never saw it as retiring you know what i'm saying so like i don't even say the r word you know um, i always say transition because when you transition it's going to take all the things that it took to get you into the league and you know what that took you know all the hard work the hours you're still doing it now so sure. when you transition, your focus goes all that hard work, the preparation, all those hours that you put into ball and recovery and all that, that gets put into whatever the next phase is. The hard part is finding like, what am I going to do where I'm going to dedicate that much time, that much commitment and sacrifice to whatever it is that's next, right? That's the hard part. So I kind of have my Peapod theory. And um, the first thing is like, okay, well, what are you passionate about, Kenny? Like, what is it in life that I'm passionate about? Like for me, I transitioned out of the league. I was 36, bro. Like. I was, old, I was an old man when I got out of the league. That's why I was so fortunate that I did three years abroad first. Wow. And then, then I did my last 10 years. Like, I was already in grad school. I was I was transitioning while I was still playing. I went to – I did my master's my last three years while I was playing, right, uh, wow. to get my MBA. Um, 
But so like, what was I passionate about? And like you, as you know me, like I'm passionate about fitness. I love fitness, right? Okay, well, are there any problems in fitness? Like, what, what's the problems in fitness? Well, we live in the United States. People have a lot of extra income, but people sit around. Americans like to sit around. I didn't see a lot of overweight Nigerians. I didn't see a lot of overweight Africans. But in America, I see a lot of overweight Americans. So there's that's the problem. So how do you get, you know, Americans to be fit? So, you know, I had a passion with fitness. There's a problem. There's a lot of people that need to get fit. If I can get people fit, I'm solving a problem. It's my passion. It gives me purpose, right? And so, okay, I started opening up gyms. I was passionate about it. I was solving a problem. It gave me purpose. My cup was filled every day. I felt like I was playing ball. It was no different. I went out there, assembled my team, had employees. Now I got 50 Orange Theories. I have four um, Kid Strongs, which is a kids fitness concept. So like I'm hustling and bustling. I'm an entrepreneur and like through, through the passion, solving problems, having purpose. Now I have a profit, you know what I'm saying? So right. now I'm making money as an entrepreneur. There's profits there. And then, you know, maybe it's not a profit. Maybe it's something that, that you're passionate about that's philanthropic, which is another P. So you're solving a problem, you're volunteering, you have a nonprofit, so on and so forth. But also at the core, the uh, final P is people. Like I love working with people. I love being around people. I love building people. So, you know, it's, you know, passion, solving a problem, having purpose, there's people, there's there's philanthropy and there's profit. So all those six P's, I just came up with a rubric one day and I'm like, this is how you find out like what it is that you want to do. Um, wh what's your lane going to be as you transition and you can feel like, I still don't feel like I'm working, even though it's a lot of hard work and being an entrepreneur and starting a business, there's a lot more risk. Um, but there's also a lot more reward at the end of the day. And so I think I found a good formula that works for me. So now when I talk to kids, when like the Dolphins call me to talk to their players, when the Ravens call me to talk to their players, when the NFL PA calls me to sit on a panel or to talk to guys that are transitioning out of the league, these are the things that I talk about. And um, it, it's just basically, it's just a start. It's just a very ru rudimentary rubric. You know, it's just a start as the things that you should be writing down and you should be thinking about. And, you know, as you start to put what you're passionate about and what passions also give you purpose, what passions give you purpose and also solve a problem like that list starts to shrink and it just get, allows you just to hone in and maybe wow. just maybe it gives you an idea of somewhere that you should be a lane that you should consider that you maybe didn't consider before. Right. Right. Yeah. I I, I can imagine what you say, 36 years old, your, your mature level and your ability to want to tap into that because that's scary, bro. I'm going to just tell you right now, that is very scary to do something for your whole entire life. And then, like me, I'm spending some real, you know, I have the family as well, but I spend some real quality time with myself. And it's like, man, okay, now we're getting to defining who you are and what this journey is going to be about. And I'm going to tell you personally, it's scary because right now I imagine myself practicing, you know, getting myself ready, getting some ice on my knees and looking at film while I'm in the hot tub, you know, give me some right. food and go talk to the coach about game plan for this week. Like, right. that's what my body is used to for so long. So uh, it's weird a little bit, but it's honestly setting me down and giving me the wider scope of just beyond life, you know, not just football, which is just a section of your life. But, man, how do you really see yourself? What do you who do you see yourself affecting? How do you see yourself impacting people? Right. You have you have you have kids, you know, like I don't want to be a guy that I don't I, I, to me. My, my ego is out of this, but I don't give a damn if I had to work at McDonald's. Let's say that that was the case. Like, 
I want to do something where my kids can learn from. I can't teach my kids burgers at the house. So my journey has been about creating a legacy where I've touched a few things and I have it to where I can teach it to my kids, where it may be a business, may, whether it may be about lifestyle, whether it may be about, you know, showing them what 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 people in, in Legos look like, you know, taking them on a trip on that and having impactful moments. So I think for me, I'm getting this time to really shed light on myself on who is Kenny Young? You know, how do you define himself? Uh, and uh, what does that look like? So, so, so to hear from you, you know, being at 36, I'm sure my answer will be completely different, right? If I retired, if if I was to retire that age, because you have the experiences, you have the things you want to stay away from, but you also have, like you said, a purpose and a passion for people, right? People is what is is your asset, as as people say. Um, and I want to talk a bit a little about your your, your business on the, uh, endeavors with Orange Theory. I, I see that uh, it was in Fort Lauderdale, something like that, and you saw a gym. Uh, orange theory and you know you know you're going to orange theory the orange light is you know landscaping everything and the layout of cardio uh weights and and rowing uh the combination of that and a 50 minute segment 55 minute segment brings fitness to where whether you're 60 years old whether you're 12 years old right it, it, it creates community of a gym of environment to where it's structure but for, for you on the business side was what was that like you know getting your education and then saying look i'm gonna go ahead and become a franchisee of uh, Orange Theory because fitness is part of my life, but it also impacting people. Yeah, you know how it is as a pro athlete, uh, Kenny, when we train, like we'll all go to one center in the off season, right? And then there'll be time slots where we're all training together and like cats will be like, you know, cats will be getting after, but some days cats will be like, man, the energy just won't be, you know, like, man, oh, you know, I'm just struggling today or I went out last night or uh, man, this workout is hard today. You know, like we might be complaining <laughs> even though we're living our dreams, right? All right. <laughs> So, um, but there'll be, you know, there'll be, you know, like, you know, one time slot, there'll be 20 cats. The next time slot, the cats rolling, there'll be 15. You know, we start maybe at five in the morning and we go kind of to lunchtime, right? So cats are strolling in. So Orange Theory is the same way. They got classes at 530 in the morning. Then the 630 group comes in and the 730 group comes in. Every So my first time in there, everybody was happy. Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here. Like I get to be here was the attitude. I get to be here. And not only do I get to be like, I have to pay to be here. You know, when we're training yeah. at our facilities in the league, we're getting paid to work out. You know, we get paid 150 bucks a day or whatever it is to work out. Right. These cats are paying 150 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month. And like, I get to be here. Like you get to work out with a 60 year old that's happy. You get to work out with a mom or a stay at home dad that's happy. Like I'd get my free hour. Uh, my hour of free time to work out and do orange theory and they're doing it next to me or whatever. So I love the community when I first walked in there and it was that energy and that community that, um, that really attracted, to, that attracted me, attracted me to it. And I was like, I got to bring this to California. So this was 2013. I played in the Super Bowl on February 3rd, 2013 on February 6th. I was back home in Fort Lauderdale and I was at orange theory. So wow. I was with Joe Brown. I'd be like Super Bowl on Sunday, orange theory on Wednesday. And that's literally <laughs> yeah. what happened. And yeah. at the time, there was maybe like 30 Orange Theories open. There's 1,400 Orange Theories open now. So, like, I was an early um, an early adopter to be a franchisee in the company. It was a great opportunity. It was a unicorn, really. And um, it was a very special opportunity that, that I got to participate in. So, now, you know, we have 50 Orange Theories. There's another group. Um, it's called Kid Strong. It's another franchise that I found. And, you know, there was... 10, 15 of them open. It's based out of Dallas. And now we have over a hundred open. I have four open myself. I got two more I'm working on. So I have six by Q1 of next year. Um, and I'm feeling like we could do the same thing. It's a kid's fitness business, you know? So 
doing my MBA gave me the unique ability to realize that I had a talent at, at being able to see businesses. And if you handed me a business, I could kind of dissect that business. And if I was really interested and passionate about it, I could make that business better. I feel like I've done that with Orange Theory. You know, we're trying to do that with Kid Strong now. Um, and luckily, you know, through the NBA process, I was able to realize, but even if you just played on an NFL team, you're doing something at a very high level, you realize that you have a PhD in teamwork. Um, you know what leadership is all about. You know what great leaders are. Not only Absolutely. do you know your job, you know the people's jobs around you. So when sure. you're running a business, it's like you have to wear many hats. A CEO wears many hats. So I think there's a lot of talents that we have as former football players and being in organizations, and especially if you make it at a high level in the NFL. And there's also a lot of employees that are looking for just former college athletes that they want to hone and turn into uh, business people as well. But um, yeah, I think we kind of underestimate some of our skills and our confidence when it comes to corporate America and the business world. Like we're definitely highly skilled, highly trained, highly developed. We just kind of have to hone it and uh, put it in a package and put it in an environment that's conducive with our skills. Absolutely, man. Um, man, what a what what a what a life, what a what a meaningful life you live in, bro. Um, to hear from you. Um that's that's amazing. You're you're I feel like every step of your life has impact and uh it's changing and it's gonna continue to change. But I think you have the right mindset, bro. I think you've built the right standard for your life uh to to prepare and to lay off to your kids' life and for them to see what hard work like is like, you know, you, you got a chance to see it with your mom and then, you know, hearing it from your dad and able to see your dad whenever you visit Nigeria. But I think that's the most important thing is that the ones that see you week in and week out, grinding, getting up early, going to bed late, right? Enjoying the moment, right? Like, like you make time for that, bro. But I think that takes attitude. I think that takes knowing who you are. I think that maybe that took time, you know, uh, maybe you learned it very early, but I think all of that is a key component to why you're special, why you always go have good luck in your life whether it's what do you say is hard work or not um so i commend you on that man uh that's amazing bro uh on the, on the, on the, to wrap this up brendan we, we're going to get to talking about managing mental health uh what does that mean for you and what does that look like for you i want to get directly into you know what's the the agenda that you have for yourself now and has that grown a little bit to hey look i need to do a few more things to add into my my mental health arsenal to right. to make sure i'm better to make sure i feel good because not all, not all the time when we carry on a big load, you know, we have a lot on our shoulders, a lot of responsibilities, a lot of exerted force in our mind of a place that we have to go. Like you need naps to, 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 to capture all that. Right. It's, 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 it's tiring. It's a lot. Um, but you accept the challenge as look, this is something I'm going to have to do. This is something that's worked. This is something that God has put me here and I get one shot to do it the best way I can. And I get multiple days to do it in case one day I don't get it right. But to your part, to your lucky story, and to your 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 workload of your life, uh, managing mental health. What has that been like for you, and what does that look like? Yeah, well, you know, back to your first comments, man. I appreciate you recognizing that. Um, it's been it's been a crazy journey, but the thing is, I'm always learning, and I'm continuing to learn all the time, and I'm open to learning. And um, in terms of mental health and also learning, like I've submitted, you know, like I spent so much of my life fighting always being a fighter, always being a fighter, like having to fight to get a college scholarship, having to fight living in the projects, right? Having to fight to get into the NFL, showing up every day like my job was on the line for 10 years in the NFL. That's why I stayed for so long. I was fighting every single day. And now like I'm at the point in life where I'm just submitting. It's a different mindset. And now like I'm just submitting to life. Like what happens now? Like I'm not going to fight it. Like you cut me off in traffic. Like I ain't going to fight that. 
Wow. Like I've been, I've been fighting my whole life. Go ahead. You can cut me off. You can have it. Um, if there's altercations, like recently I became single. I was with my partner for 19 years. We have three kids together, you know? Um, and that was tough, really tough. So, um, you know, I meditate, I do yoga, I go on dog walks. I don't bring my phone. It's a pet peeve when I see people walking their dogs and they on their phones the whole time. Like for me, it's meditation through movement and me and the dog, we're actually connecting and we're connecting with nature. It's the three of us. It's me, my dog, and it's nature. And that's what I do for my mental health. Wow. I do yoga for my mental health. I submit to life now for my mental health. Um, I'm negotiating uh, leases all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm arguing back and forth with billion-dollar companies that, that, um, that own real estate. And I'm, you know, just a small business trying to get my $1.5 million business into their billion-dollar portfolio. You know what I'm saying? And so like we have arguments and like I submit to the arguments and I go through the journey of having a conversation and a dialogue like and so through submitting, I've learned that everything in life, like I'm sharing the street with you. You know what I'm saying? When I'm in a coffee shop, I'm sharing Starbucks with you or whatever Lux coffee, whatever that coffee shop. If you're on your phone and you're talking loud or whatnot and it's like getting in the way of my flow, I can politely say, hey, can you put on your earphones or, Hey, can you, you know, so like I try to do things and I try to move so differently now. Whereas as a kid, all I, this like dukes up as a kid, you know, <laughs> and to get where I had to get to, it was dukes up, like let's fight. But now like I really submit to life and it's really de-stressed. It's changed a lot of things for me because there's things that aren't in my control. You know, I can just do what I could do. So me and my family could stay together, but if it wasn't going to work, like I have to submit and ultimately we're all in a better place. My ex is happier. She treats the kids better. I'm happier. I treat the kids better. The kids live in two happy homes with good, good energy all the time instead of one home that's chaos. So like I've submitted to that. It wasn't easy. It was hard. It was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you're going to go through that. But I think as I transition now, this next phase of life, you know, like I mentioned, I'm 47 and I want to be here till I'm a buck 30. Like I'm trying to live 130. Right. So mm -hmm. there can't be any stress like everything for me in my mind. It has to be stressless because stress causes cancer. Pressure busts pipes or it's going to make a diamond. Yeah. Right. So now just in, in this stage of life, like even with my kids, like I treat I have a three year old and I know you have young kids, but like I have an 18 year old as well. The way I raise my 18 year old versus the way I raise my three year old. I'm a completely different parent now. You know what I'm saying? There's so, I mean, there always was hugs and kisses and daddy was always there, but I'm there in a different way. I'm even more present now with my three-year-old. So I'm just really trying to enjoy this part of life. I'm really trying to submit. I think I might be learning more now than ever, especially like when I was, when I was in the NFL, like I was doing one thing and I was doing it great and I had blinders on. But now yeah. like at this point in life, like I'm taking all the energy in. I'm a lot more observant. I'm um, interacting with this world. I'm sharing the world. I'm sharing the roads. I'm sharing the coffee shop, um, the, the grocery store, like nothing's going to get mess up my vibe. And, um, this is the, the most important thing. And this is something I learned in yoga is that, uh, the yoga instructor said, like, when you go to a place, there's two things you can be. She's like, you can be a thermometer, which you're just always measuring the temperature or you could be at a thermostat. A thermostat's giving off the energy and it's changing the climate within wherever you are. So now when I go places, I want to be a thermostat. And so like you said, and it, it hit me so good. It's like when you're like, oh, your smile or your handshake. I'm like, that's a thermostat. Mm. When you can smile at somebody, when you can shake their hand, when you can make a positive impact, or if you make a negative impact, you're still being a thermostat. But like, can we be a positive impact on just those little things, eye contact, 
opening up a door, saying hello to somebody or whatever it is. So yeah, like really now, like my days now, I try to submit to whatever it is that comes my way. And I really try to be a thermostat in every situation I'm in. No, I, I feel you vibrating through the screen right now, bro, for sure. So it's you definitely fucking <laughs> it up. <laughs> no, man, listen, um, like we all know, man, um, you're stepping up to the plate of manhood, to a journey, to being open, to being vulnerable. Uh, it's something I've been struggling with, but practicing ways to be more open, you know, way to let submit to what life brings you. Right. Because a lot of times we say, OK, look, this is the direction of my life. This won't affect it. And I'm getting here. This is the end result, right? We always talk about the end goal, the end result. That's always in our minds and heart. But to you, you're kind of at a point of your life where you look, I didn't did it all. I didn't touch it all. I didn't did it successfully. I didn't, you know, messed up at a few things. But here I am as I am. Take me as I am because I'm here to serve, but I'm here to submit to a higher purpose, to what, to what my life has to offer. And I think, bro, listen, I haven't heard many people that I even look up to speak in a tone like that because you're a man speaking like this man it's hard like usually people people that speak like this are you know my wife or you know my my mom or you know some woman some feminine woman talking about how expressive she is and to hear it from you you know uh it's, it's just been a pleasure man and I, honestly i want to say you talked about your kids uh growing up in an environment where now they're in two households uh you know i have a daughter my oldest daughter uh where she lives in California now, but, um, you know, it's, it's tough. I feel like when you get this at this level where it's like, okay, how can I juggle things to where it makes sense for my kids? Right. How can I build in harmony to their misunderstanding? Because I understand it, but how do I do it to where it's of harmony is of love is of, you know, forgiving, but is of, this is what it is. And we have to, we go grow up with it or you're not with it at all, but this is the way you want to build, build your life because it's not perfect. So, so how's that role model being for as putting everything in harmony for your kids and showing them that, hey, look, it might look like things is crumbling, but no, we still good. You know, we still have love. We still have, you know, visits and all these beautiful things that that, that we once did. How, how, how has that been a challenge for you and how have you handled and advocated that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, with the children, I'm always just checking in like, oh, how is everything? And, I, you know, I try to ask them questions and I try to just let them talk. And then there's not always a response. It's just, I don't have, like, I don't have to have a solution to everything that's going on with them, you know, more than like, cause like what, what the solution that works for me is probably not going to be the solution that works for them. And I just want to give them a safe space where they can talk and they can get off their feelings or their emotions. It's really hard. Like, honestly, like it's really hard to connect with the kids today. Like the kids are really wow. like, my kids will reach out to me when they want something but they're not necessarily reaching out to me when they have a problem. And so I'm trying to just be, cause I've always been the disciplinarian. If they have a problem, they reach out to their mom. Yeah. If they want something, they reach out to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like, oh, it's like, I try to just flip the script, you know, like, oh, you're not in trouble, but like, you know, how's everything? Like, do you need, you know, like, how is this? Or how is that? Or, you know, like when I talk to my son, I'm like, hey, you're not in trouble, even though you messed up in school, but like, let's come up with a solution. Like communication is the key. Like, let's talk to your teachers. Let's find a way for you to do this or do that. So um, I'm trying to come at them. I'm not definitely not trying to be their friend, but I'm trying to like have ways for them to come up with solutions that work for them and then just give them a, sa a safe space. Look, man, you are the blueprint for success. Uh, you are the blueprint for learning and you are the blueprint for, you know, the utmost ways of how to balance and have in harmony manhood, but time for yourself. 
and building boundaries for you to live a life that's purposeful, that's full of meaning, and that's full of value. So, uh, man, uh, thank you for being on the show, Brendan. Uh, I really appreciate your time, bro. And um, you, uh, you, you're the first, you're the first episode on Second the Standard podcast. So I'm really happy, happy to have you on, man. I just want to say it's a pleasure, bro, hearing your story, and uh, we'll we'll link up soon uh, in, in due time. You know, I always enjoy spending time with you. I enjoy getting your text messages or your phone calls. You'll randomly be with one of my friends somewhere and you'll drop me a note. So keep doing that, man. I miss you. It's great to see you. And I wish you much success on the podcast. You have a good and a great uncanny way of just bringing out somebody's true nature. So keep it up, brother. I love you, man. Thank you, man. Love you too. I'll talk to you.